Get There. I'm your host, John Penn. So today on the show, my guest is Lauren Volkstein. And, um, you know, she's an incredible filmmaker, a writer, director. One of the themes that's come up on the show is just the, the circumventing genre element. I mean, I think I have certain guests that have been able to do that so seamlessly. Like they go from one genre to another um, and they're they're working on the same they're working on those projects in the same like time frame. But with Lauren's case, she does that too. But I think her ability to circumvent media and different modes of filmmaking is so interesting. So it's cool to see her, um, you know, uh, one of her feature films. But then it's also cool to see her kind of seamlessly adapt to the landscape of television, where the time, the amount of prep is different, the um, the variables are different. And, and we talked about that uh, adaptability. Like, I think that's an important theme that um, resonates. But then, I mean, from a content perspective, another theme that came up quite a bit in our conversation was mental health and trauma and repression and dissociation. And I think all of those themes have played a role in a lot of her work. So one of those, I think one of those uh, experiences or iterations or examples of that is a friend of the family. Man, what a wild, wild show. That's about the Broberg family, about, you know, the one of the uh, daughters, Jan, who was kidnapped over several years by the same guy. And it, it was like about his charisma and obsession and just this weird, very weirdness uh, centered, but really important and very traumatic and a lot of those themes. But then on the flip side, like there's also comedy, man. And we didn't I didn't want to, I was, I felt kind of weird bringing that up. Like, that's the question that I have. Is it okay to laugh at certain things? There's a scene with Colin Hanks and Jake Lacey when they're in a car. And again, like, it's very, that's a scene about power. And uh, man, you just think about decision making and someone that's trying to be a patriarch and hold his family together and just is not able to do that. He can feel the family and the audience can feel that his family is kind of slipping away a little bit. And that's got to be very tough. Uh, tough. Wow, that's the word that I used. It's got to be tr- traumatic to use that word again and um, a difficult sense of being. But to paint the stage, and on that she directed the finale, I think to paint the stage in a way that encapsulates the drama behind those decisions and the ramifications of, uh, I guess, love in a way, but then also obsessed, obsessed love uh, is wild. And her feature, um, one of her features, The Strange Ones, I mean, that is something that has really, really explores that topic in depth as well. Obsessed love. Uh, and we talked about that. That film came out in 2017. She directed it with her directing partner, Christopher uh, Radcliffe and they were actually classmates at Columbia that's how they met and you know it's interesting because we talked about uh, John Waters uh, that you know his influence in her life and in her career and um, that's a film that John Waters ranked as one of his top 10 of the year in 2017 uh, but the strange ones I mean that's that's a feature with Alex Pettifer who um you know, I, I think I talked about this, but he worked with uh, Soderbergh on that Magic Mike film. So that's kind of where I, I think I first, um, you know, was like, wow, this guy's really talented. But then James Friesen Jackson is another 
incredible actor who um you know i think both of them really carry that film together it's about a journey it's about escaping trauma and then all the sort of um you know the dynamics of um familial relationship and um also the dynamics of power i mean that's a film that explores all those themes and it's incredible uh really well shot as well we have to obviously mention that and then also in television another you know another impactful show queen sugar i mean that that's for own uh which is oprah's oprah's network and um i know she's been involved ava duvernier uh is the showrunner for that and she was you know lauren was the producing director for that so that's that's like exploring what it means to have continuity in, in television, you know, in that type of role, um, as opposed to like coming on as a, as a guest director, as a guest filmmaker, which she does too. And so it's cool to see that that's like another adaption, um, you know, we talked about film to television, but then also within television. Um, so that's cool. But she's directed um, Deremy for USA and Cloak and Dagger, which is like a Marvel show. Um, why the last man for fx so a lot of different pieces uh and different tones and i think that speaks to her uh, versatility as a filmmaker she recently worked on dead ringers which is a show uh tv adaptation of the uh 1980s cronenberg david cronenberg classic film of the same name so in that film irons played uh, you know, twin gynecologist. And now, uh, 2023, Rachel Weiss is playing uh, twin gynecologist. So we also talked about that, like experience working with her and her process. And that was really just cool to see, you know, speaking to that engagement. Uh, Friend of the Family, you can find that on Peacock, uh, all nine episodes. She directed the finale. And Dead Ringers is going to come out on Amazon Prime on April 21st, 2023. So take a look at that. Great conversation. Love seeing her. Hope you enjoy. very interested in talking to you about your okay. trajectory. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm surprised you want to talk to me about mine. No. I always love hearing from a fellow Duke alum, Columbia. Yeah. I know. No, I'm I'm really uh I'm interested in your trajectory definitely. And I definitely I do see uh I don't know if overlap is the right word, but if you think about some of the themes that a lot of your work has explored um they are very tied to mental health yeah. and um i think psych- psychiatry in general right is that something that you uh do you notice that do you kind of see that uh, observation i mean i've always been fascinated in psychology psychiatry the brain um so yeah i mean i i'm fascinated in how people why people do what they do and just observing human behavior. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I uh, found a way through that, through the expressing myself through the arts and exploring that. But I've always been, I've first, my first love was like neuroscience. Oh, I think really? at Duke, I was really interested in wanting to study the brain. Oh, wow. Um, what le- but I, yeah, I ended up doing computer science instead because I was really good at programming. Okay, um, and that's interesting. So I didn't, I didn't know these things. So let's, uh, let's. <laughs> you let's did a lot of research though, and I was very <laughs> impressed when you reach out to me. I'm like, wow, I don't even know this about myself. Wait, so what? What led to the neuroscience 
interest. You were just you were interested in uh, learning more about the brain. Was that through just wanting to be more exposed to like uh, mental illness, the way the brain works, the different mechanics of that, or did something else sort of fuel you for that? I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm just fascinated in how mysterious people are, Ooh. and just like trying to understand the humans better, I guess, and us better. Um, and I thought my way of doing that would be through psychology and different. Cl- I, I I I guess at Duke I didn't really find my footing with those classes, mm. and I really found a way of like getting my creative juices going in different ways. Yeah, and like film and and experimental stuff, and I could really explore different human behavior that way without Ooh. trying to study it so much but yeah. like working yeah. with, with collaborators and people and that were that were interested in doing the same stuff and just yeah i i guess i mean that's a long-winded way of saying i really yeah. like the mystery of of people and well, it's, yeah <laughs> it's it's interesting you say that because in uh in front of the family which i which i saw i mean that's I think in the finale, which is the episode that you directed, I mean, there uh, that was the observation that Colin Hanks's character makes about his daughter Jen is that she's she's a mystery. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting because I mean, uh, he's her dad, but he still felt that way. So, when you where did you grow up? I grew up in Baltimore. Okay, I saw that you're. Are you from West Orange, New Jersey? I lived that. I, that's where I, uh, that was one of the first places that I lived. Um, yeah. West Orange. That's amazing. Jersey. My dad is from South Orange. So I spent a lot of time in Jersey. Yeah. I spent time in South Orange too, because my mom was um, studying at Rutgers at the, actually UMDNJ at the med school over there. And oh, she was cool. doing a residency. So we lived, uh, I know we lived in South Orange and then um, I think we went to West Orange at some point. Right. Yeah. No, I, I have a lot of fond memories of, of South Orange and Maplewood and yeah, uh, New Jersey in particular, because my whole, whole dad's side of the family is from there. Um, oh, really? But but we grew up, I grew up in Baltimore. Yeah. What yeah. was the what was the rationale behind Baltimore? You guys just settled there at some point, or? Yeah, my mom was a special education teacher in the Baltimore mm. school system, and my dad was in the Air Force. Mm. Uh, yeah, we were just we were in Baltimore, and I. Um, I, I kind of I love that city. It's such a uh, it's such a weird, charming little place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, I I mean, it's such it has a great arts community there. And oh, I really? think that's what I, I gravitated towards that later in life. But I, I, you know, I think early influences of mine were watching like John Waters movies mm. when I was really young <laughs> and my parents being like, Oh God, he's so strange. What are you doing watching these weird movies? And I just found like a, a connection to his sense of humor. And um, I just really loved the way he just did whatever he wanted to do with a small community of artists and put it out there into the world. Yeah. Um, whatever. He's a strange and interesting uh, man, but he definitely did. I mean, I love I love his films. Those are interesting. So what what do you think about them? Uh, what gravitated you towards them? I mean, like especially the films that he directed. I mean, was it was it just the nonchalance like this this feeling like, wow, like this is possible, like you can be this 
out there and you can you can have this collaboration with with people that you find that you respect? Yeah, I think it was a I think at first I was drawn to him because of the Baltimore connection mm. because I I had seen places and locations that I knew and were familiar to me like for example Crybaby yeah. was shot in the Enchanted Forest which was is now it's now a grocery store but it used to be in a strip mall but it used to be oh, this, wow. like incredible fairy tale uh like playground for kids um huh. That's where he shot, and that was like in my backyard, basically. It's the Johnny Depp one, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, so I think I, I at first gravitated towards that movie, and then I went to see his other movies that were more like midnight cult classics, like Pink yeah. Fleming. I yeah, the spirit of them I found to be very inspiring. The fact that he had his group of weirdos that yeah. he you know got together to make stuff on his own dime and that DIY um, yeah. attitude uh, really, really was attractive to me um, when I was young. Did you have a group of weirdos that you like that you <laughs> collaborated with? And stuff? I feel like okay. I found that I found some of them at Duke. Um, oh, yeah. you know, as, uh, I don't know if you felt this way at Duke, but it was really hard to find like a group of artists that went yeah. there. I feel like it's not really known to be an art school. I feel like now they've really expanded. Um, you know, they've they've renovated a lot of the the East mm -hmm. Campus to, to be more. They have a much more um, resources for yeah. for the arts, and which is incredible. I went back there recently and, mm. and did a talk, and it was incredible to see the amount of resources that they had now that they didn't when I was back there. But I, I found my, yeah, I found my group of weirdos that were just like, we're, we're making films uh, by any means possible. And um, I also ran the screen society there through mm. the Duke union, which was, and that opened my eyes to what was possible in making movies. I, I, I think I really discovered David Lynch in oh, college. Yeah. And I remember watching Mulholland drive yeah. in, Griffith, in the Griffith theater and just being like, wow, my mind was just like blown into like the possibilities of what you could do in cinema. That yeah, uh, oh, David Lynch. yeah, David Lynch was yeah influence for sure. David Lynch, yeah, I, I don't know David Bur David Byrne too. I think he also directed a movie, but he's also oh, really yeah, interesting. Stop another sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. he directed. I think he directed one with uh, John oh. Goodman too. Uh, yes, three yeah. stories. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that one is. I love that movie. I love that movie. John Goodman's so great in that. But yeah. so then, what did you? Because was that the first time that you lived in the South, going to Duke? Yes. So yes, what? What led you to? What led you to pick Duke? I mean, you were growing up in, I guess, the East Coast, Baltimore, and you liked it. And you had you were developing this uh, group of weirdos, right? So then, what led you to kind of shift? I didn't. I actually didn't find my weirdos until Duke. I think. Oh. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, it's interesting. I got really into computer science and programming in high school. Mm. And I was one of the few girls in my, I was like the only girl in my class that programmed at that time. Huh. But I, I, I felt like it was very special and I was really good at it and I loved it. So then mm. Duke kind of felt like their, their computer science program spoke to me. Yeah. Um, I also, my grandfather went to Duke and okay. so like I grew up with loving Duke basketball because oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I'd watch. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, I, I felt like I was a Cameron crazy from early on because yeah. of that. Um, yeah. What brought you to Duke? I'm I'm just curious. What brought me to Duke? I was actually, uh, for me, I mean, I I guess I was living, I was in Utah at the time. Oh wow! And I wanted to get, I wanted to get out. I mean, I <laughs> I wanted to get yeah. out. I didn't. Yeah. I, it was all right, but uh, I wanted to leave. I guess leave that part of the country and go somewhere else. And I was actually, I applied to only I think two schools. I applied to Duke and Michigan, wow. and I visited Duke. I didn't visit Michigan. I was accepted to both, but I ended up going, I ended up picking Duke because when I visited, everyone was, first of all, it's beautiful. Like it's really green. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Uh, And uh, the weather's nice. And then, but it was really just, um, I think interacting with people and wanting a smaller atmosphere than Michigan because Michigan's huge. And I feel like I got that. But to your point, it was hard to find people that shared i guess similar interests at least the beginning because i feel mm-hmm. like everyone's kind of in their own zone in their own head yeah and just trying yeah. to like survive this transition of going to that school um for the first so, time yeah so how, how long did it so do you still program and are you still into cs i don't mm. no i but i i at duke i graduated with a degree in computer science but then a, they, they didn't have a film degree at the time so it was yeah. a certificate that I got. Um, yeah. And I made a lot of weird experimental films at Duke that I've never shown. Um, like like what? Just, um, you know, like uh, we were still shooting on film at the time. So like, you know, I made like some Super 16 and Super 8 mm. projects that were just, uh, I don't even know how to describe them. Uh, probably okay. heavily influenced by the surreal Boonwell and Lynch. Yeah, and John Waters, yeah. John Waters, yeah, for sure. Um, but then I, I was hungry for more after Duke and when I, you know, really fell in love with making movies. And so I um, applied to Columbia mm. to to study more screenwriting and directing because I just fell in love with it. Wait, when did when did you find the group of weirdos at Duke and how long were you there before you found that? It took me until so- my sophomore year because okay. my freshman year, I didn't realize I wanted to... I, I've, I'd always been watching movies and analyzing films. I didn't realize I wanted to make them, though, until my sophomore. Mm. Um, and I think it was really, I I, I want to say, like, I took, like, an editing class mm. um, and found a way to piece together, fat, like, movies that have already been made and make them my own through editing and just the creativity involved with that i was like oh i want to start making my own stuff um and then once i got into some film classes it was really the small group of people that also wanted to do that Mm -hmm. uh i was really excited by and i felt like i had a connection to them in ways that i didn't with my science classes so when you were when you were studying computer science i mean you're you said your dad he was in the air force and your mom was a special ed teacher so like were they were they supportive or what did they want you to do something, um, something else? Oh, when I was uh, taking computer science classes? When you were like, explore, <laughs> when you were discovering your love for film and making films. Oh, they were very supportive. Yeah, mm-hmm. very. They've always been so supportive. Um, yeah. I I think they were uh, a little surprised, mm-hmm. um, but um, I think they were. Yeah, they've always just let me do my own thing, which has yeah. been, I feel like it's kind of a blessing um, yeah. to have that. Yeah, that's important, uh, that autonomy um, that's and, important. And, and freedom to make decisions. 
which um yeah again another topic that a lot of your work i think is explored so you're you're doing that and then you decide so what leads you to columbia so you decide that you're at duke and you're you know studying computer science but you're getting involved with like collaborating with people and you're you're starting yeah. to have your circle and you're making films um but let me just ask you by the way like that was you were shooting on film those initial yeah. films so transitioning i guess the business transition to digital i guess in the early aughts mostly right maybe a little bit before maybe a little after but how do you how do you feel about digital shooting on that versus film i mean it's interesting there's a lot more flexibility with shooting uh digitally i feel yeah i i hadn't once i got into columbia in grad school and film school we weren't shooting on film anymore mm. but there's more there's more flexibility around the amount of takes you can have in terms of just um being able to see what you're shooting and playback um but also just the the length of shots everything feels so much more flexible yeah but i do miss the i don't know i miss the artisanal uh mm. aspects of shooting on film and and actually editing on film yeah um what, and I'm happy that I did have a chance to do that before everything changed. Yeah. And you edit, you edit a lot. I mean, I do. I, I love it. What do you like about editing? Do you, uh, I mean, do you find that it's as collaborative as directing? Um, it's not, I, I feel like when you're directing, you're your most collaborative. Mm. Um, you know, I feel like you're kind of in a cocoon. You're in like your own little cave when you're writing. Yeah. Um, and you you have yourself and your own ideas. And um, it's really, really difficult. And then when you're in production, it's like you're able to like share your vision with all your collaborators and you're all coming in together for one, you know, to, to you're all on the same page to, right. to make something amazing together mm -hmm. uh, with wonderful craftspeople and that's always so exciting for me and then you're kind of back in that cocoon when you're editing and post-production um i do i really love collaborating with editors mm. um for my for all my own kind of independent films i've edited myself or with chris who was my co-director on my first film first feature film um Rat radcliffe right yeah, Chris yeah. Radcliffe, who who um, was uh, a student at Columbia at the same time as me, and oh, that's wow. got yeah. We found oh, yeah. we found ourselves our our own little weird group, but that for me was one of the best things about film school was finding, you know, my tribe. I think yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like uh, like that's why a lot of um, a lot of bands, I guess, had their origins in like art school and film school yeah. and stuff, like Talking Heads and Devo. I think it's really yeah. it's kind of interesting that yeah, you need that you need that forum to like establish your your crew. So, I mean, coming yeah. you came to Columbia from uh, from Duke directly. Um, I had a year in between where I actually made a film. I made a film on Super Sixteen at NYU before going to Columbia that I submitted oh, wow. to Columbia. And it was a short film starring my grandparents in New Jersey. Mm. Uh, what was that? <laughs> it was this movie called Coney Island Catch. Okay. Um, 
we actually we shot it in Coney Island in Brooklyn in Coney Island. I was just so taken by Coney Island when I first hmm. went. It's the first place I ever visited when I went to New York. Oh really? Uh, did, you hot, was, did you have a hot dog? I did have a hot dog. <laughs> okay. you, have to, you have to have Nathan's when you go there. Yeah. Or else you're not like what are you yeah, doing? Exactly. Um no, I I I loved it. And I I I I um felt like I needed to make a, a kind of like a cohesive narrative film that wasn't just experimental. Yeah. Um, and so I did that and submitted that to Columbia because I really wanted to uh, be a better screenwriter. I felt mm. like, like I really had this like natural um, visual instinct and uh, felt like I really understood visual language and I really yeah. wanted to be, with my um writing so um yeah yeah so columbia was kind of known for its screenwriting program and that helped you feel like you were able to take your um i guess your impetus which which was more kind of visual at the time and you were able to like add this screenwriting um you know craft do you feel like columbia gave you the the tools to be able to do that yes yes definitely um I don't know if I would have been like a writer director if I hadn't gone to Columbia Um, because I, I, I loved directing and I loved taking a script and translating it um, to the screen. But uh, yeah, I, I felt like I was a more confident writer after Columbia, after Columbia. What was Um, the, what was the first um, like short or film that you made um, like coming out of Columbia? what was that oh the first um well at columbia we had several different kind of exercises where it was different like three to five minute film and then like an eight to 12 minute film and then slowly working your way up to your thesis Mm. Um, and my thesis at columbia was cigarette candy which was yeah i i which was about a marine who was coming home um and his homecoming party and feeling like he wasn't the hero that everyone yeah. wanted to, to be. Yeah. And that was through like hearing stories from my dad, um, who was deployed multiple times and wow. having to take care of several like teenage airmen and, and military officers yeah. who were very young. And uh, my dad was a part of like, he was a flight nurse. And so oh, he, wow. yeah. So he kind of was the first person, person that wounded warriors saw um before they were shipped off yeah. so he had a lot of like, traumatic stories to tell um and so that that was like in my mind when i first went to film school and the iraq war was was happening and mm. uh, you know I, I i felt like i i needed to tell a story um yeah. for, uh, to get it out there all these stories that my dad was telling me yeah. And so my, my very first film at Columbia, my three to five minute film, my first year was about a family whose dad returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very, very personal. And then I wanted to kind of get a further away from the personal and, and tell a different story that was more universal. Um, and that ended up being my thesis. So that took about five years to, wow. <laughs> to craft and get, and it was like a culmination of everything at Columbia. Yeah, no, that's, I love that, uh, that short film. It's so great. And I, I think oh, that, um, 
Cause it was the, it's just the perspective. Like, like you said, like this guy comes back and everyone's expecting him to, you know, like tell a story about something that's what some, some element of his experience. And he kind of, he kind of has an idea of what they're fishing for, but he also doesn't. And when he kind of has this, it, what looked very cathartic, but just this kind of letting it out and it's the yeah. expectations that people have are, com- have completely shifted. Yeah. It was wild. And then that girl is just like, constantly chain smoking like <laughs> and then you think about like what her experience is with you know trauma and, and all of that yeah. when you um when you thought about that and i just remember that um that sex scene i think it was in the on the washer dryer yeah. right uh, and he has that face and you just see that like seething i mean what was your what did you think about that and how do you how did you think about um like what did you want to convey at that at that moment um yeah i mean well Jonathan Orsini is a brilliant actor. We, mm. he was such a wonderful person to work with. Um, but yeah, he just the idea of like disassociating, I think yeah. from, from feeling in that moment. Um, and what he's really experiencing is not in the present moment with her. Yeah. Uh, and that, uh trying to convey some sort of trauma on screen um that felt real um to his lived in experience a weird a funny story not funny mm. but like so kind of crazy story yeah. about making that movie is that when we were casting i had um my my writer jeff susa and i had um named uh the character eddie van buren just oh, really? I, 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 I mean, it was like kind of random that yeah. we came up with this name. I don't even remember how we did that, but we put out a casting call when we were looking for actors and our leads. And a guy named Eddie Van Buren wrote to me and said, this is going to sound crazy, but I am actually in the army and I am over in Afghanistan right now. And you are basically telling my story. And could I write to you about my own kind of, experiences over here and so we started yeah isn't that insane and we started having a pen pal uh between us and one of his stories we actually used for um the monologue and uh, a lot a lot of it was taken from eddie's own uh, experiences and eddie and i are are still in touch today but wow uh, that's awesome yeah that is just one of those crazy like kismet things that happens when you're making a movie sometimes that's another uh that's a theme too i mean um trauma i mean that it permeates through a lot of your work too i mean i remember uh i mean in that first what you was your first feature what do you say the strange ones was that the yes. one that you because that was and that was based on the short right coming yes. out of it because i remember i saw both and um that's like and i'd never see i mean alex uh Pettifer, i mean i i i think i saw him in that he was in that soderbergh movie right I saw, I saw him in that and then he's kind of a fish out of water a little bit in that but then in this i mean he has to he's really in a different situation entirely and it's not he's not really as concerned about belonging necessarily he's interested in surviving and then and then you and then you see what what he's what the situation that they're really coming from what what inspired you to think about that i mean i, I guess you made the short first right with chris yeah so yeah chris and i um or both. Well, it's it's interesting for the short. We we had all this backstory that we um, had researched about um, kidnappings, mm. 
with teenagers and we had all, and it was an amalgamation of several different kind of stories that we heard where um, usually like one person is the one telling the story that survived and you don't quite know the truth of what happened because you only get one person's story. Mm. Uh, and for the short, it was more of like starting with a tone and a, and a feeling and an atmosphere yeah. and then telling the story around that. And it was more kind of uh, dealing with like changing perspective and our perception of what's happening and the feature adapting it to the feature was more about understanding the perspective of the boy more mm. kind of being in his uh in his own reality um mm. and and wanting to experience what he's experiencing as it's happening um so that's kind of the big i mean besides yeah. the time limit <laughs> the, the yeah. how much time you have for telling a feature versus a short but that perspective was a big kind of thing for both me and Chris when we were thinking about the feature adaptation and, and yes, trauma had a lot to do with that. This idea of like, what do you remember and how do you survive? Mm. Um, and yeah. how do you survive, uh, you know, traumatic experiences and, and how, uh, your brain remembers things. Um, oh, yeah. In order to survive, and I guess going back to like why I'm fascinated in the brain and psychiatry and all of that, um, yeah, you know, like uh, our brains are so malleable and adaptable to yeah to help us survive, and so that 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 was really fascinating for me to be able to tell a story that was experiential to that. Yeah, and then also just the um, like the power dynamics too. I mean, Alex's character is. I mean, he's like, um, it's all, it almost reminded me of like a, a kid with, uh, maybe a single mother in some ways, just in terms of like what the, uh, agenda is and how, how are they going to find a place to stay? And it's really just, it's by using his, I guess, his, that character's charm and his looks to try to, you know, figure that mm -hmm. out. But then, but then you have this kid, uh, and his name, I think his name was James, right? That played him and yeah, he's, James. yeah. And he kind of, um, he has that scene in the motel where he's like, uh, he's holding court basically. And he's telling this woman, you know, all the things that, um, uh, that Alex's character would not, would hate that he's telling her, uh, yeah. just about like how, you know, he's like a killer. He's a rapist, like all these different things. And she's, um, she's, she's totally puzzled. Um, when you think about that, like just dynamics of power, I mean, was that another, was that another thing? Like, cause you have this kid and he's in this, you know, just like terrible situation and they're kind of running away at some level. I mean, do you, do you think about that? Like who does really have the power in that relationship? Yeah, constantly. I yeah. mean, I, I, we were constantly thinking about who's, who has the upper hand here, who's, who's winning the situation, like what you're saying, who's holding court at whatever moment. Um, because at times, Alex has the power at times. James Freeds and Jackson has the power and it's, uh, you know, who's, who's really driving who. And we also wanted to kind of play with this idea of obsessive love mm. that could not be understood or explained, you know, when, when you're so young um, and you don't quite understand your feelings or why you are attracted to someone or interested in a certain way there, sure. there are things that you act out upon. Um, and so like, we never quite 
the, the film is very ambiguous for a reason. It's because Sam mm-hmm. doesn't really understand his own feelings either mm-hmm. um, when he's that young. And so wanting to convey that confusion um, on screen was something that was important for us of not really understanding your own emotions. Yeah. that's And also that film is like such a good, is what we were talking about earlier about just that visual sensibility, but then getting the craft, uh, you know, developed further at Columbia in terms of screenwriting, you see a good, it's like a good balance of that because there's a, I think it opens in that scene with the diner. Right. But then you're also going to that, I guess that commune kind of yeah. uh, area, which is like super lush and green and you see all of that atmosphere. And that helps also tell, I think the story too. But then um, what about, maybe we can take a, like a little transition to, to dreams because okay. uh, my favorite you made that because yeah. uh, that collective unconscious, which was, which is like a five director collaboration about, I guess, diagnosing on some level and then also like mm-hmm. interpreting dreams what led you to what led you to get involved in that project um well that was the brainchild of jane schombrun who's a really good friend Mm. of mine um and they wanted to kind of bring together kind of the independent film community and do something Mm. very collaborative and very fun uh for all of us as we were trying to make our next projects and it's very hard to get a film financed quickly so a lot of us were just you know in the process of getting our next movies made in the New York film community. And Jane had this idea of wanting to do an anthology of interpreting each other's dreams. Mm. Uh, And we were totally game for that. Um, You have all these like very adventurous filmmakers who don't always get to play because if, you know, if, if you're making a film uh, and it's being financed for millions of dollars, it's yeah. harder to really have take take those risks some at times. Right. Um, and we wanted to do something where it was like completely dream logic, mm. where where we could just play and have fun interpreting each other's dreams. So that that was where that came from of like this this hunger to be adventurous in our art. Uh in and have a limit on, okay, well, this is how much money we're going to spend to make these shorts. And we're just going to have fun with them and think completely on the unconscious level of like, this is what our dreams look like and what are our nightmares and uh, fantasies and all of that, Um, which I think filmmaking is the best art form to show our dreams. Uh, Mm the films are dreams. So it's kind of yeah. fun to play within that sandbox. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that yeah. was James' uh, brainchild. Um, yeah. Wow. No, it's, it's, did you, so you had that because your, your segment, I guess in terms of your dream was the Bemis one, right? That was the coach. Yes. Uh, yeah. You had that, did you have that dream of like being in gym class or I guess I wonder if that was derived from like personal experience or not, but just being in gym class and like being yelled at and forced to run. And then there's this underlying, uh, I guess, theme, which is a, a volcano, which has been dormant. That's about to kind of explode. I mean, did you have that, uh, <laughs> that happened to you? Oh gosh. I mean, um, I didn't have that exact dream. That was actually um, an interpretation of a different filmmaker's dream. But, Mm. but I do, I did want to kind of tell like an, um, 
again, this idea of the power dynamic between a teacher and a student and the volcano being a metaphor for like what's kind of erupting inside of them mm. uh, when they're changing and mm. their bodies are yeah. changing and um, the kind of repression that gets kept inside when you're a teenager and then just having it erupt. I think I was really fascinated in gym class because I don't know, just this uh, feeling of, I always felt awkward in gym. Um, yeah. always don't we all? Yeah. I just feel like it's the most, um, especially at that age, um, yeah. and having such a binary, I mean, growing up in, at the time that I was growing up in high school, you know, everything was binary. Yeah. And I, I believe strongly that we don't live in a binary uh, world. Sure. And um, that in itself is a nightmare. And so that, that kind of was where the ideas for that came from having being forced to exist in a binary world. Mm. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's kind of heavy. Terrible. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really hard. How do you um so in terms of when you work with Chris, because you've you co-directed um I know the strange ones, you, you co-directed yeah. that. So how is that how does that kind of um what is your relationship like in terms of does it's like is it one of you talks to the actors or you both talk to the actors? Like how does that how are the roles kind of split up or delegated? Or do you do kind of everything um collaboratively and, and together? That's a great question. We get this question a lot. Um mm-hmm. We love doing everything together. Mm. I mean, Chris, uh, Chris and I both direct separately as well. And this was a very specific project that we came together on um, as classmates at Columbia. And we both came up with the story together. And it was something that we both wanted to do where we both wanted to be able to talk to the actors. We both wanted to be able to direct the camera. The way that we were able to do that in such a succinct, um, cohesive way First, it helps that we both have similar personalities. We both are mm. we're both very egoless. We both um, are collaborators at heart. Um, and so, and we both knew each other very well. We were very, yeah. very close friends. So um, that that helps and that we had so much time to prep um, before we started shooting. And we wanted to have a master document where we planned everything and pre-visualized everything ahead of time in terms of, yeah, very comprehensive, um, in terms of like, okay. And working very closely with Todd Van Hazel, who was our DP, he was an incredible gifted cinematographer and director. We were able to do all this prep together where we would have a master document of, going on location and and scouting and knowing where exactly we're going to put the camera, knowing how we were going to shoot everything. I mean, this is kind of like our editor brains working because Chris also edits as well Mm -hmm. of like knowing how we want to put the film together and craft the film. And the way we like to direct is, is such a um, precise craft that we like know where we want to, how we want to, um, have the film look and build shot wise and the pace of it and the rhythm of it so that when we are on set and on the day when we're directing, all we have to worry about is, is uh, performance. Right. And since we had all that time ahead to plan everything, we were able to be flexible on set and know 
exactly the three of us, how we were going to shoot it. Um, so that when we were working with Alex or James or any of other, other actors in the film, um, whenever one of us had a note to give, we would just give that note. And if the other one had a different note or wanted a different take, we would just give that different take. Right. And so mm. it didn't slow things down at all. We were on the same page always. Um, you know, we there were often times where we were like, do you, this is what I'm thinking, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to do this? And then we say, yeah. yes, let's do it. So there was a constant like communication flow of like how we wanted to work. And we had done it together on the short. Um, I've worked with Chris on, uh, I've produced his movies, mm. edited my previous film. So we were, we were collaborators for many yeah. years before doing this. And so it just felt like a natural progression of our, our work together. That's like, yeah, the synergy of having a continuous relationship, like, right? So that, I wonder how that uh, how that becomes potentially a challenge because you direct a lot of television too. Yes. Um, when you don't, like, do, do you find that in television, like, you have less time to plan? Because that sounds like you're you plan really methodically. Yeah. With this, you know, with Chris as a collaborator. So then, when you go to television and it's someone else's. <laughs> thing uh do you find that that's a challenging in terms of not having that prep time and not having that um you know that arsenal or that tool or resource of time yeah i mean i um it's great that you do you do get prep in television but you're right in that you don't things aren't as you know with the feature we had several months of prep with right. television you're brought in as a guest and you're kind of like you get a set amount of days to prep probably a week and then you mm -hmm. you go and i feel like the more television i've been doing the more i've been able to flex that muscle of mm -hmm. you know thinking on my feet um adapting very easily um you know it's great to have a plan but i think it's even more important to be able to change that plan to be adaptable oh yeah yeah um yeah and i think the most important thing the tool to have when you're doing episodic is to be a great collaborator mm. um, and a great communicator of, right. of what you want because yeah. things move really fast and really quickly. And yeah. you have to like really trust your team and know how to collaborate um, because you're coming on to someone else's show. Um, yeah. And you have to know how to lead with humility and grace and, um, I love doing episodic because of the amount of times I've been able to flex that directing muscle is mm -hmm. wonderful. And to be able to kind of, uh, work with so many great teams, um, it's much harder to have that, uh, when you're directing independent films, because it takes mm -hmm. several years to, Right, get like financing and all yeah, that. and there's and yeah. when you're directing television, you you just focus on directing. Right, I feel like every film that I've done, I, I wear so many different hats and um, trying to just get it off the ground and and get it going. But in mm -hmm. television, you have this great uh, freedom to focus on your craft of directing, um, which is, is great. Is yeah, yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely, it definitely makes sense. But in terms of um. Like, because in front of the family, you directed the finale. So do you feel like, uh, is it hard or I don't know if hard is the right word, but is it a challenge in terms of maintaining 
continuity? Like, are you aware? How aware aware of you are the of the previous like eight episodes and the previous sort of guest directors that have come on and their visions and stuff? And like, is it is it hard to kind of you know um, retain that sense of continuity, especially since you're closing? You're really closing the show, right? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I for all the episodes of television that I've done. I, I come on early. Like, so even though I was doing the finale of a friend of the family, I was on that show several months in advance. Mm. Bef- I think before they even started shooting. Oh, wow. And so, and I also, I, I, whenever I get hired to do television, I love to be on the distro side of things. So I can see mm. um, dailies and watch dailies for previous episodes. And so that I can study the show and, yeah. Uh, I read all the previous episode scripts. I whatever episodes have been cut, I'll be watching. Um, so I think for a friend of the family, I was able to see the first three episodes. I want to say mm-hmm. wow. and really get to know the style of the show and the language of the show. I think that that was a very very special show for me because yeah. the finale was very much in Jan's perspective of her mm-hmm. like awakening to what was happening. And it was very, yeah. um, it was similar uh, in ways to the strange ones. That was really nice to kind of uh, yeah. go back into that type of um, tone and that type of mm-hmm. um, story and narrative. And uh, th- what made that show so special is Jan's participation in it. Um, oh, really? Yeah, uh, Jan was one of the producers of the mm-hmm. show, Nick Antosca, who created the show. And yeah. he worked very closely with her um, and her family to make sure that, you know, they were doing justice to her story. And um, she was in the finale as the therapist. To, to Oh, young. yeah. Yeah. Wow. So like that was uh, to be able to work with Jan was a lot of my prep was just being able to talk to Jan and hear her story and really yeah. uh, and work with McKenna Grace, who is just mm-hmm. a, such an amazing talent and such a dream yeah. to work with. Um, yeah. 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 All the actors. How is it? How is it working with uh, them? Like, uh, you know, Anna Paquin and Colin Hanks, Jake Lacey, who is, I don't, I mean, on another level and that and he's is, really on his game on Jake that. is brilliant and and yeah um, and so easy to work with and such a, yeah. such a dream um they were all fantastic um i worked yeah. very very closely with jake and mckenna you mm-hmm. know because this this is the the episode of her kind of realizing what's been happening yeah Mm-hmm. So just wanting to make sure they felt comfortable with where we were going and the direction we were taking it in. And, um, yeah. I mean, it's like that his, uh, Collins, his, um, that florist business is like burn it. It's in flames. Yeah. And that's such a metaphor for like how she, like her, like you said, like her awakening and her catharsis and the realization. Yeah. It's, it's wild. I mean, you can be in a, you can, you know, grow up in their kind of environment, which is definitely isolated, but familial. And then, you know, be in a, in a position where you're for a month, just constantly listening to the, listening to this tape in a motorhome and it can completely change your life. Right. It's kind of wild to see that. Um, but in terms of, uh, 
in terms of that, I mean, being part of something that's, um, you know, that's based on historical events, was that, did that add or, you know, um, how was it working on that? Was that your first sort of experience doing that? That is a great question. Um, I'm trying to think if there are other, I feel like I've worked on things that were definitely inspired by uh, right. True stories. I mean, the strange yeah. ones for sure was an amalgamation of several different true stories, true crime stories. Mm-hmm. But this one, in terms of its, its authenticity to what really happened, was so um, it was kind of spooky with how real everything mm-hmm. was. I mean, we would see the research and the archival uh, documents were so abundant. Yeah. Um, the stuff that Jan kept, the records, the everything i i spent a lot of my prep just studying the real story um mm. and it's amazing how close the show is to what really really happened wow um, and how authentic everything was um yeah you know they they yeah. say the tr- uh, the truth is stranger than fiction and it's it's yeah. so true with that story um but i i I think that's why it ultimately had to be a limited series because so much happens uh, mm-hmm. over the course of so many years with Jan um, and the grooming um, that happened. It, it happened over years. Not It doesn't happen that quickly. And it's hard to convey that in two hours. And yeah. to yeah. have nine hours to be able to show how this happens over a span of several years and how it can happen again um, was really important to tell the story. I don't think it could have been done as a feature. Yeah. You know, that's why I like uh, the serialization and I've talked to some people about it too, like just the serialization of, I guess, television and the ability to tell a story over multiple episodes and have all these arcs as opposed to being confined into like night, like you said, like 90 minutes or, you know, two hours. But um, so (laughs) Man, that's wild. So then in terms of television, because you work in television a lot, I mean, Queen Sugar is another show. And that's um you've been you're you've been like the producing, is the producing director? Is that yes, is that your yeah. so how is that you know kind of being at the helm in terms of um in terms of your role? And you've been on you've worked on that for multiple seasons. So how how is it like um like being part of that and that sort of consistency of having that role as opposed to like coming on as a guest, which you also do in different shows? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, Queen Sugar is like family because that was the very first episode of television I ever did. Oh, wow. In 2018. So to come back in 2020 to be able to be a producing director, which means you're kind of leading the whole show from for the whole season is great. Um, to take that producerial role as a director is, is amazing. Um, we had a very... Uh, complicated Mm -hmm. year it was the year of the shutdown um you know the covid changed so much for all of us but uh i think it helped bring us together even more so um but yeah that and that's why it felt like so much of a family because we were all in it together telling the story ava DuVernay actually Mm -hmm. rewrote the whole season to to talk about what was happening in the real world with COVID in real time. And yeah. so that that was incredible to be part of. It, it felt like we were part of history in the making um, yeah. with that show. 
um, for multiple reasons. I mean, Ava created the show and decided only to hire uh, female uh, filmmakers who a lot of them had not directed television before. Mm. Uh, and so that for me was my way into TV that I don't know if I would have had that chance otherwise um, to be directing television. So to be able to come back to the show that brought me into the fold in the first place was kind of a dream. Yeah. Um, and I, I love the producing director role. I think um, it's amazing because you're there from the beginning. You're there from uh, for the whole season. Mm -hmm. So you are keeping, when you talk about like, how do you keep tone consistent on yeah. that show? The producing director's role is, is to make sure that guests coming on to the show are keeping tone consistent yeah. throughout. Um, and they're also if there are pickups that need to be done or anything that needs to be um, shot that hasn't been shot, they're the ones that are uh, maintaining that, that throughout to make sure the whole show gets made for that season. Um, so they're, and they're the kind of leaders from the jump, um, which is amazing. Um, so it's great. It, it, um, it's a very demanding role because mm. you're kind of you're you're the face of the show for the whole for the yeah. whole season every episode um but it's amazing to to be a part of that family and not not have to leave after your episode is great have you had a good um, experience but yeah, when we did yeah. it when we did it it was um we the shutdown happened and yeah. we came back later so it was a whole different experience coming back into production during covid yeah i think um, that's the that, that's like the secret of that show because i think that's why it, i feel like it hit the zeitgeist because yeah you are talking about like very relate like stories that are very relatable especially in that 2020 you know that time which is so so wild um in terms of that like being on you know that shows on own right so then that's oprah's channel have you had a good experience on on being on like having a show on own and have they been um you know quite sort of supportive in the in the effort to keep the show you know going and, and the all of that like are they have they been supportive in general oh the best yeah are the best yeah yeah we um we just had this thing in september for the variety um uh in the impact of women uh on entertainment and mm -hmm. ava Oprah were being um honored. Yeah. And they decided to bring all the directors from Queen Sugar back on stage to be there in the room for the for the event because wow. they it was honoring them, but they decided they wanted to give us a platform mm -hmm. um, for that. And I mean that's that's the beauty of that show is it's as much um been kind of a time capsule in front like the stories that they're telling are yeah. so relevant and important but also behind the camera is uh, changing the way the industry looks and and the way we work and our hiring um is so important like ava kind of changed the whole game in 2016 with queen sugar mm -hmm. and now more women are being hired because of her so yeah. it's, it's incredible i can't say and, and that's because oprah said yes let's do this <clears throat> and yeah. agreed to it because it's her network it's pretty um, cool so they really changed the whole game for yeah. everyone yeah that is that is really cool it's cool to be part of a show that's that has that um that sensibility so then what about uh 
What about Dead Ringers? Because I did you. I remember seeing that movie. I was doing. Uh, I was doing an AmeriCorps. Uh, I was working as like an oh, AmeriCorps cool. Vista for a summer, yeah. and I was in uh, r- like a really rural part of Missouri. And uh-huh. the dorm that they put me in um, had very little like stimulus, like in terms of entertainment. But there was a TV, and I somehow stumbled upon that that 1988 movie that Cronenberg made. And the Dead Ringers movie, and I, I was, I was totally blown away. I'd never seen anything like that uh, with Jeremy Irons and seeing that whole story unfold. It was uh, quite wild, and I'm sure that that affected my interest in psychiatry too, because there's a lot of mental oh, health in that. Yeah. But um, did For you, sure. did you see the movie before you signed onto the show, or was that something that they like asked you to kind of um, do more research on or whatever to mold your vision? I was a huge fan. I mean, just like yeah. you, it's it, it kind of. Yeah, when I I mean I was a fan of Cronenberg. Yeah. Uh, way before uh mm. the idea of the show, but um yeah, Dead Ringers is my favorite Cronenberg. Film. Really? Um yeah, just the I mean, I love Cronenberg in general for uh everything he's done and for how he's changed the horror genre and mm-hmm. um and body even, dra- even drama too, like History of Violence, that's another one yeah. that's great. Yeah. That's a great movie. But it must have been crazy to watch that in the middle of uh, Missouri. Uh, yeah, uh, on a TV. <laughs> yeah, I saw that in a in a bunk bed in uh, <laughs> the dorm of a historically black university in Jefferson City, Missouri, over a summer where it was super hot. There was no AC. It was terror. It was tough. But uh, yeah, it was wild. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't really. I could. I, it took me a little while of like actually watching it to figure out what this was actually about and like the themes that kind of came up and all the delusions and stuff i mean it's it's wild uh how yeah, is that, it that <clears throat> codependent oh yeah totally yeah. totally how's that um how is working on that i mean being involved with this and i think that's you did this for amazon right so how was yeah. um how's being involved with looking at the story the adaptation that you or an adaptation of a movie that you really you know liked and that you loved actually and coming on to work on a like a show about it how was that experience oh it was a dream come true the <laughs> fact that they uh are making dead ringers starring rachel vice as the yeah. jeremy irons yeah uh characters is just it's just an absolute dream uh to even be thought of for it uh it was kind of the perfect meld for me of all of my obsessions in mm. film and to have it with that team, Rachel, Sean Durkin, who yeah. I've known for years. That, he directed um, the Martha, uh, the Martha movie. Yeah, Martha, Martha Marcy. Marcy. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, I love Sean. I love his work. Um, Alice Birch, mm-hmm. who was the showrunner um, and creator of the show with Rachel, oh. um, who is a brilliant playwright, brilliant screenwriter. Just that that whole team coming together to make this um, felt like a dream come true. And also the way they, whereas you know, uh, the Cronenberg is brilliant on its own. Twin gynecologist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it has all its, you know, usual like psychological um, horror and, mm-hmm. and, and dealing with everything. Uh, and, and that was really exciting for me. Um, especially that my wife and I just had a, had a newborn at the yeah. time. Yeah, it's it was very uh, it was a very important show for me to be a part of. 
Definitely. And I, I, how was, uh, how was directing Rachel? Cause I remember, I mean, especially I guess Rachel one and Rachel two, like the twins, um, <laughs> the different characters. Cause I, I remember I saw her in, uh, the lobster with that Yorgos made. And I, <laughs> I loved it. I thought she was great in that, but how is that? Does that add another complexity of like directing, um, one Rachel? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, she's a dream to work with. She's just, um, a brilliant performer uh and so it was like <clears throat> it was amazing to see how she works and her process is very much instinctual mm. um and she loves to surprise herself too and to make it it's very kind of vibrant to see her uh bring something new to every take um and just to work from pure instinct pure emotion it's inc- it's incredible to see how she embodies these characters completely and to see her play these two roles is I can't wait for people to see it. Oh, I'm, um, I'm really excited to see that. And then you also teach um as if you don't have enough going on. You also <laughs> teach I know you've taught at Temple, right? So how is how's that experience from, you know, um wanting to get like going to Columbia doing an MFA but then coming back or coming to teach at Temple, I mean, how was that experience? Did you um, what what led what was the impetus to to kind of do that? I love teaching. Mm-hmm. I love mentoring kind of emerging filmmakers and helping them realize their vision. And uh, I think for me, I just really feel very passionate about the craft. And so, for me to be able to talk about the craft of directing and and um, what I love to do, it's just, it's really nice to have a job where you are talking about it all the time and mm-hmm. analyzing movies and, yeah. um, you know, I didn't want to lose that, that part of me that loved these old films, these classics that I could just kind of look at and bring to new students to the art. Um, that to me is such a joy to like, be able to introduce a new director to emerging filmmakers. Like, have you seen this Tarkovsky? Okay, no, we're (laughs) going to watch it right now. And then we're going to analyze it frame by frame. That's so exciting. And, and I, I think I really became really interested in movies from my professors that were doing the same for me at Mm. Columbia. Um, Like I remember a class that I was in um, where a professor a dear uh, professor of mine, Eric Mendelson, oh, yeah. would uh, analyze. Do you know Eric? Do a you, lot. From Columbia? A few people have talked about him on the show. Yeah, I haven't met him, but no, I've heard really a lot of things about oh, him. Oh, you should meet him or yeah. go to one of his classes where he will show you The Exorcist and analyze it shot for shot oh, wow. for like 13 hours. I mean, we had a class that was like all day long and it was incredible. No one wanted to leave. We all wanted to analyze shot for shot. Yeah. The Exorcist, and it was by by and large like one of the best experiences of. I bet uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, just to have like a film club yeah. where you're just like, analyzing your favorite movies and trying to understand the craft behind it um, to make you a better filmmaker. And I love I love doing that for students. And so, like, I think, yeah, I just ha- I, you know I started teaching while I was at Columbia. I started teaching like Columbia undergrads. Mm in like a narrative filmmaking lab and i never stopped and (laughs) so like i i still really really enjoy it 
Yeah. Man, what yeah. a what a treat that you're able to kind of give them. And uh yeah, Freakin. I love I love Bill. Yes, William Freakin. Me too. It's so great. French connection. All right. Um, man, this was a lot of fun. I really, I really enjoyed this. And I'm excited for <laughs> I loved uh, it so much, John. Oh, Thanks no, that's, for asking me on. No, no, of of course. And um, again, I mean, I guess to what we were talking about at the beginning, like there's definitely a parallel of psychiatry themes in a lot of your work, uh, especially related to like trauma and power. And I'm I think it's really important to people, you know, for people to see that stuff. And then also um uh dead rigners which i'm excited for coming out um coming out soon i think next month so really appreciated uh talking to you and uh yeah i'm, I'm uh really excited for all of your work thank you and thanks for for having me on no of course thank you thank you